welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. So, it's not too late uh, to get Dad something for Father's Day because of online shopping. And uh, if you're interested in fashion, I was sent some photos a little while ago that you might be interested in. This is from the Milan Fashion Week it's a couple of months ago with some fashion that uh, I think would really go down well for some fathers on the Central Coast. If you look closely... Someone said there on social media some great Father's Day gift ideas. I can see a couple of you guys looking really good in a couple of those outfits. But the next page is even better. Yeah, this is from the Cherkov collection. Uh, Tony and Mitch uh, are launching their label. It'll be in stores soon. Um, I mean, it's, I, just, I just thought, I have to show that at church because it's just, it's just, I don't know. I, I just thought it was hilarious. It's not really the image of the perfect father, is it? Those, some of those outfits. It's really pushing the boundaries, um, you know. Uh, but speaking of the perfect father, we'll just remove that image. That is what you get if you Google perfect father into Google Images. You get a number of images you get that one, there's the father and the daughter. With the... Now that one's a little scary. I think it, it's got cornfields and a long road going down to a kind of scary looking barn. And that I don't... Son, if you ever do that again, I don't know, you know, it just seems to me like it's just... Anyway, I just thought that one was a bit funny. I don't know if that's really a picture of the perfect dad. But um, that's just to get you thinking about the perfect father. I want to talk this morning about the perfect father because uh, is there a perfect father? Uh, perhaps when you were young, your dad seemed perfect. Uh, you know, he was your hero, couldn't do any wrong. And then, of course, you grew up and you realised, well, he's a little imperfect. And hopefully he's still your hero because he's still got some great qualities and you appreciate that even though he's not completely perfect. Or perhaps your experience was really different and your dad was far from being a hero because he was maybe not that functional as a father. And sadly, that's often the case where people have had some pretty bad experiences in dysfunctional families and sometimes their dad has suffered because of his upbringing from a dysfunctional situation and he really just didn't have the, the tools, the skills in his kind of in tools in the toolkit, so to speak, of how to be a good dad. And so some people have really had a hard time with their father, the good news is that regardless of our experience of our earthly father, we can have a heavenly father who is the perfect father. And that's what I want to look at today. And this is good news for us to consider our role and our position before him as children, but also for fathers. In fact, for all parents, uh, we can learn from our heavenly father Example, the example that he provides for us to follow and aim to be something like he is to us in our own families. 
So we can learn from him, in other words, and exemplify some of his character traits as we want to raise our children, bless them and enrich their, their upbringing. So I've got five features of how our perfect heavenly father gives us all we need as his children. All right, you want them? Yeah. Or just two or three? You only got two. How much time you got? All right, it's about an hour per five. Yeah, you'll be fine. Out by, out by four. Um, first one is our Father gives us perfect affection. And if you look in the Bible at Psalm 103, verse 13, you'll see this. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. The revelation that God loves you is the single best, most important understanding you can have in life. It doesn't matter who else doesn't love you. It doesn't matter what goes on in your life. If you know that God loves you, anything can hit you and you'll get over it. You'll get through it. You'll get The love of God, nothing can separate us from the love of God, the Bible tells us. And, and, and notice it says, it's like a father having compassion on his children. I'll never forget when I first became a father, Ruth um, had given birth to baby Hudson and she was still in the hospital and I had to go to work and we lived in Sydney. I worked in the city and um, I, uh, I had to stop. I had to go to the, the chemist at Chatswood train station to buy a dummy uh, because, I don't know, she had one that was too big or something and, and of course, I'd never bought a dummy before but this was my moment as a father to buy a dummy and I remember asking for a dummy for my son my child because I'm a father and I I I remember thinking that came out a little louder than it should have you know because something in me so felt like the world should know do you not notice already the the glow the aura of responsibility there's I was a little I was walking higher off the ground I you know, I thought, aren't people, why don't they realise? I think they realise. I think they appreciate that now I am, I am in that role of societal change and responsibility. I have become a father. You know, it's such a, you know, a weight of amazing, you know, the word incredible gets overused. Um, but literally incredible love. You can't understand how much you love your kid. You do anything for them. You just, this child, you know, and of course, even when they, grow up and sometimes they're ratbags, you still love them. It doesn't matter what they do, you'll do anything for them. And it's this innate love and, and as I said, incredible drive and desire for you want the best for them. And, and, and it's innate, it's in us as, as parents. And where does it come from? It comes from the Lord because we're made in the image of God. So it's a reflection of His love for us when we have love for our children. But how much greater is His love for us than our imperfect love that we try to hopefully filter down and get into blessing our children's lives? And this verse indicates that comparison. As a father loves his children, as a father has compassion on his kids. And of course, the reason that we can actually call God our father is because of His love. We don't earn it. We don't. In fact, you know the phrase, oh, we're all God's children. People throw that out as referring to all humankind. But that's not actually accurate. You are not created into the family of God. You're not born into the family of God. We're all created by God, but we're not all children of God. 
we only become a child of God. We only get to be part of his family. He only becomes our father because of Jesus and accepting what Jesus has done. That's what the Bible says. Look at first, uh, not first John, John chapter one and John the apostle who knew Jesus closely, perhaps closer than anyone else knew him and knew the love of God. He says this right at the beginning of his gospel, to all who believed in him, that's Jesus, and accepted him, Christ, he gave the right to become children of God. Before that, you're created by God, but you're not in the family of God because sin separates us from God. It keeps us out of his family. But only thanks to Jesus, we can actually be adopted into the family of God. And if you read on, he gave the right to become of children of God. They're reborn. That's, why we, that's where we get the expression, born again. Jesus used it himself, recorded by John a couple of chapters later, that phrase. We're born again, reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Isn't that awesome? So this is a, a right, like I said, that we don't do anything to earn. We just accept, wow. And that shows how much he loves us. Because you imagine a lost, abandoned child. These days we've got, you know, a society that's, quite organised and civilised and we've got services, but in more primitive, primitive societies, a child could literally be abandoned and destitute and completely on their own. And if you came across that child and you wanted to help them, you wanted to love them somehow, well, you could give them a bit of food, you could, you could give them a sleeping bag and say, oh, that'll make it easier for you when it's you know, tough in the cold, sleeping rough, as they say on the streets. But the most loving thing you could do to that child would be to invite the child to become part of your family. To say, I, I'm going to love you so much. I will adopt you. I will bring you in. I'll give you all the rights and privileges and blessings of being part of my family. And that's exactly what God does for us, doesn't he? That's, uh, John says it again in another letter that he writes, 1 John chapter 3. He says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. So that shows God's affection, God's love for us, even when we don't deserve it, as Caleb referred to over communion. Uh, he, he brings us into his family through Jesus, he washes us clean from sin, just like a grubby little kid with filthy clothes. He clothes us with righteousness. He gives us a, a, a life of purpose and destiny and, and meaning. And, and it's all because of his perfect love and affection. That's cool, isn't it? And as I said, that's a single, if you heard nothing else today, if you had no other understanding of a morsel of truth to live your life by, that's what we should carry in our heart. You know, it doesn't matter what other people think or do or what happens here. God loves me. God loves me. God's all for me. God's, he's on my side. He lo even when you sin and mess up and blow it, he's compassion. You read Luke 15, you know, the story of the father, the prodigal son coming back. He's always looking looking for the prodigal to come back, the lost son. Yeah. So, so that's kind of cool. The second thing God gives us, our Father gives us perfect direction. If you read Isaiah 64, verse 8, you come across this verse. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. 
We are the clay, you are the potter, we are all the work of your hand. So the father is like a master potter who directs how the clay should be formed to make a pot. And of course, if we're smart, we'll have the right attitude, the right posture before God by saying, yes, Lord, you know more than I do. You be the potter, I'll just be the clay. Have you ever thrown a wheel, uh, thrown a, uh, a, a pot on a potting wheel? Um, it's, it's harder than it looks, isn't it? You see, when I was a teenager, one of my mates, uh, his parents bought uh, or started a, um, a pottery supplies store right near where we lived. And so we'd go there some afternoons because we'd help unload a truck of clay and potter's supplies. And then we'd hang around because one of their employees was a cool young dude with a motorbike. And he was also a, uh, you know, a artistic guy, a ceramicist, you know, a potter. And, uh, and we'd get potting wheels out and, uh, and we'd have a go. And, uh, and we made a terrible mess of, you know, trying to make a pot. Um, you know, you can, you can have a go, but our pots, I remember, were, were ugly. You know, it was, it's harder than it looks. It's very easy to make a mess out of your pot. And sadly, that is exactly what many people do with their own life when they don't allow the master potter to take control and they refuse his direction. But I remember when this cool young artistic guy, I can't remember his name, but I remember the motorbike he rode. Um, uh, and, when, when, and then we'd go, oh man, this is ridiculous. And you go wobble, 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 and fall over. And he'd say, here guys, go, guys. And uh, he'd just throw it on there and then zoom. I'd be like, what? Are you kidding me? You know, in like 30 seconds, he's, he's got this amazing, you know, pot, big, you know, the, like the Greek, what do you call them? Amphoras, you know, these things. And they were doing it way back then, uh, you know, with, with potting wheels. And so compared to our sad, wobbly, hopeless pots, he was making a creative masterpiece. And isn't that what God does with our lives? Because the Bible says you are God's workmanship or masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's prepared in advance for you to do. He's got the direction that we should follow, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And so, uh, again, we just need to be smart and humble enough to say, yes, Lord, I get it. Okay, I've had a go. <laughs> Look at my pot, really. You know, and then just let him direct and I'll follow your lead, your decisions, your directions. And you know, it's not that hard. You know, people say, oh, the Lord's will, I don't know. How do I know God's will? And, I'm, and they struggle with, you know, they worry about just what, what the right decision. It's, it's not rocket science. We've got the Bible, number one. You know, there's, there's a very good, solid set of principles to live by, commandments. There's like, I'm just reading through the book of Proverbs. There's nearly, there's 900 Proverbs there. Smack, just great principles to live. There's some really clear stuff like 2 Corinthians chapter 6.14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So that's a pretty simple one. Young man meets gorgeous girl. Oh, wow, she's so gorgeous. She's so nice. Yeah, but you're a Christian. She's not a believer. Simple. Oh, but she's so good looking. Surely she's, you know, destined to become a 
born again Christian just because she's so good looking, she deserves it. Or so, you know, he's, the brain can do it. it. Like I said, it's, it's, you just don't give your heart away to someone who's not walking the same way you are and doesn't share your love to God. So you don't have to torture yourself, young men. You just be strong, be cool, be following Jesus and the right girl will come along. And, uh, and we've seen that over the years. You see that. I look out and see couples that have met, you know, in the house of God. Um, and, uh, and people, and then they get equally yoked, joined together with someone who's going the right direction. Imagine two, you know, oxen or whatever with a, one wants to go this way, one wants to go that way. It's not going not gonna to work. So, you know, the Bible, that's just one little example, but there's so many clear, accurate ways of determining God's direction. And, uh, and of course, he's got other ways, advice from other people, our own brains, uh, prophetic words, praying, getting into his presence. You know, it says, uh, you probably know this scripture, Ephesians, I think it's chapter 2, verse 6, that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And when you pray... You may maybe have this experience. What was in one moment, what was initially like this insurmountably difficult problem that you just don't know how to tackle with, in almost an instant sometimes, oh, you can see it from God's perspective in His presence. And now it's something that you, oh, I see, it's going to be okay. You maybe don't understand everything about it, but you have a peace. Or maybe you do get God's understanding on it, so it can help you with your decision and your direction. And that's exemplified by a little uh, story I came across recently. Uh, well, you know the bigger picture. You may have heard of D-Day. Um, and uh, in 1994, they made a TV program uh, about D-Day because it was 50 years and um, they had interviews with uh, soldiers who were still alive and this is as you probably know the great invasion of Nazi occupied France uh, from the Allies that led to the ultimate uh, overthrow of Hitler and, and winning World War II. The final push began with that invasion um, in 1944 and this program as I said they interviewed different soldiers about the attack uh, and people were involved in different levels so one was a marine who landed on the famous Omaha beach so if you've ever seen Saving Private Ryan you know this terrible carnage and he was right in the middle of it he recalled the bombardment that they suffered and he said at the time when it was all going on he concluded while he's desperately trying to save his life we're going to lose. It's just, it's just terrible. Um, but they interviewed another veteran who had been a reconnaissance pilot in the Air Force. So he's up here and on the same day that the Marine mate is down there suffering bombing and getting shot at, this guy is flying over the battlefield. Now, he saw the losses, he saw the terrible conflict, he saw the sacrifices, but he also saw all the different advancements of the troops as they gradually made their way inland. And his conclusion was, we're going to win. And the difference is perspective. He got to see from above what the poor, I mean, who'd be in the infantry, eh? <laughs> you know, but um, sorry, I'm just having a dig at uh, infantry 
captain's son. Um, he could have been a contender. You could have followed your old grandfather and gone and joined the Air Force and been up there away from it anyway. Um, so, uh, you know, and of course, this guy was right. They, uh, you know, they, they had battle after battle all the way to Berlin and the surrender of the Nazis. So what a difference perspective makes in life. So when you feel hopeless, like that Marine down on Omaha Beach, just take some time and let the Holy Spirit lift you up into the presence of God and become, you know, get into his reconnaissance plane, so to speak, and get his perspective and let him give you some strategy and some strength to get through the battle that you're facing, yeah? So that's, a, that's how the, our Heavenly Father gives us perfect direction. Number three, our Father gives us perfect correction. So, you know, just as children don't always know the right direction, they can take off on their own course, uh, we can also go off track in life and we need to be corrected. And we need to be shown the way back. And of course, this is the whole subject of discipline, which is not a real popular concept these days. Uh, in some circles, you know, but, but a smart, loving father will employ discipline uh, and correction. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. And um, it says, For the Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't... Are we on track? Have you only got verse 6? Oh, I'm reading on. Sorry, I maybe didn't give the right uh, passage. We're going, oh yeah, we're going through, I'm on verse 7 now. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means you're illegitimate. You're not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in His holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. <laughs> yes, it's painful. And all those who were brought up old school can remember the pain. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Some translations say righteousness. Another way of saying right living, living right with God, living right for God. Yeah. So, I mean, discipline isn't enjoyable. Uh, even if it's just a correction to do the right thing can be a, why tell me I thought I knew everything telling me what to do, you know, or it can be really strong punishment like, Whack. Uh, and imagine, it says there, who know? imagine a father who didn't ever bring correction to his children. Huh. It says that, you know, it's imagine just allowing children to follow their every whim and want. Well, sadly, you don't have to imagine it these days, especially. I'm sure it's always occurred, but, you know, um, there's parents who probably feel pressure because under the guise of love they feel like any correction or discipline is not loving and so they obviously want their 
precious free little spirit to spread their wings and just, you know, follow their course in life. Yeah, but that course in life might be really dumb. So you need to correct them to show the best course in life. And, uh, you know, they don't know as much as a parent does about what is right and wrong, about what's really best for them. And so it makes sense, doesn't it, for kids to listen to parents and to receive correction when they go astray. And as it says there, uh, there'll be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. The end result for a little kid to be corrected by a good parent is fantastic. Right? So parents, you know, don't be afraid of saying, yes, no, do as, I'm, do as you're told, you know, because I said so. Oh, they're just some of the best words you can ever say. You know, it's just so good. I don't need to give you a reason. I'm teaching you respect for authority because you grow up with that when you're disciplined by God. It's like God saying, you don't have to ask. God. I don't ask God why. I don't get upset with God. I don't get angry with God because I feel like because I said so. Okay, that'll do. You know, you're the potter, I'm the clay. (laughs) Who am I to, you know? But in the age we're in, we're encouraging everyone to be, you know, an empowered little, you know, what, six-year-old who knows everything. Because I said so, that's why. Um, uh, You know, and yes, I'm talking about being loving. Look at my children. They're perfect, see? See, No, I don't take all the credit. They're not perfect. But I, I would like to think that they would say, yeah, Dad had some discipline and love. Um, as Tony Chekhov has famously said, children need love and discipline. Tony gave them the love, I gave them the discipline. It's just one of the best parenting lines. <laughs> now, that cute little baby that I mentioned, little baby Hudson, well, he grew up and he grew up to be quite strong-willed and he needed correction. And when I had my Nervous breakdown as a result of trying to bring that correction at the you know for 17 years. We sent him off to the army so they could do it for 10 years. No, I, I exaggerate. I didn't have a nervous breakdown. But I am having 10 weeks long service leave after next Sunday. So. And a sabbatical to, to, to get over it. I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Um, and so... Uh, you know, but yeah, it's, it's, it's obvious what I'm saying about natural parenting uh, and the need to bring correction and discipline. And similarly, God disciplines us. And what does that look like? Well, sometimes God just allows the law of sowing and reaping to take its, to, to, to play out in our lives. And so if you've made bad decisions, God doesn't tend to rescue you from the results, even though we'd love him to, and occasionally he might miraculously change and bring some thing into someone's life that, you know, prevents the the natural consequences of their decisions and actions. But often God will allow it to play out and that's the discipline that we will receive so we learn, well, that was dumb. That was, you know, so for example, someone might get into debt and they might be chastened by the financial pressure that they've put themselves in. And God is, is, is probably, well, God will show you the way to get out and get through and go forward. But it's unlikely that he's just going to shower banknotes from heaven, you know, or that you go to the scratchy and pray over it, as I know some of us have, you know. 
Lord, I promise I'll tithe it. I'll tithe it, but it's I, the numbers. It's a big one. It's the lotto or the scratchy or the art, art union. Oh, but they're building a house, so that's not gambling. So, and so we pray. It's and I'm and it's, Lord. This is a covenant. I'm making a covenant with you. I promise. I'll you know. And then, so you know, that's just an example of how things can play out. But notice that if God brings correction in your life, it's never condemnation. You know, bad parenting is when you say, you stupid child. Uh, Good parenting is when you say, that was stupid and that's not like you. You're better than that. So the action needed correction, but the love is still there for the kid. So they feel believed in and loved and encouraged. And and yet they, the parents not ignoring what went wrong. And so God does the same. Yeah, he helps us rectify our behaviours, uh, but he's always there loving us. So number four, our Father gives perfect protection. Look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 9. What is the price of two sparrows, Jesus said? One copper coin, like in other words, nothing. And yet not a single sparrow falls to the ground without your Father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid, you are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Notice Jesus uses two arguments here to show how intimately God knows you and cares for you. One is that our Father knows how many hairs on our head. But Jesus knows that for some of us, that's no big deal. Because it's easy to count because we hardly got any left. So that's why he uses the sparrow comparison. Right? So he says... Because I'm sure some people were listening. He goes, God, the Lord knows how many hairs on your head. And a couple of them looking around going, oh, it's not that impressive. Look at you. Yeah, look at you. So I go, oh, but the sparrows. Yeah, there's a lot of sparrows. Okay, well, he's got me on that. Oh, no, I feel, I, yeah, I, I, it's a, yeah I, I get that. Um, and then and you get someone like Mia. Well, you'd be counting, you know, for hundreds of years. Gorgeous, thick, you know, head of hair. And, um, and then there's her dad, you know, you see. <laughs> It's, I'm less her suit than I was also, so I, it's okay if I say that. So, uh, you know, there's sparrows everywhere, living and dying all the time. <sighs> Ruth loves these sort of verses because birds, you know, uh, she's a bird watcher. But, uh, but God notices each and every one, even the sparrows. And so therefore we should be encouraged. encouraged. God sees everything that's going on in your life. He, and He values you enough to protect you. And that's what Jesus is saying right there. Um, And remember what I said about people with less than perfect fathers. Check this out. Psalm 68 verse 5. God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. That's God in His holy dwelling. What a powerful, beautiful promise for those who You know, even the concept of, I I read, uh, uh, Wayne Alcorn wrote a book recently about fathers. He's the the president of the Australian Christian Churches. He was a youth pastor for many years. He said, um, he used to go to court standing alongside troubled kids. He said, I never went to court with a kid who had a good relationship with his father. But he went to court often with kids who had had terrible relationships. And, he's, and he, his, his book uh, unpacks the whole issue of you know, men and fathers. He said he met one man who couldn't pray, Father God, our Father in heaven. He couldn't do it because of the relationship he had had with his father. He said, well, what do you do? He says, well, I, 
I, I talked to Jesus and I just trusted he'll pass it on. And he said, and he writes, he said, yeah, it'd be funny if it wasn't so tragic. He said, it sounds funny, but the guy was serious. He, he, he couldn't bring himself to talk about the father. And so some of us, a lot of men have got dad issues. Uh, but God is a father to those who either never had a father or didn't want to keep that, didn't want to recognise the relationship with father, never knew them, didn't want to know them, whatever. God is the father to the fatherless. Isn't that beautiful? And, uh, and of course, there's a journey through the pain that may have come into people's lives, but to go through that journey, to find a relationship with the Lord means we have perfect affection and protection from our Heavenly Father. And notice that reference to widow, widows, a defender of widows. Back then, there were no, this is not the 21st century with empowered women and support services they were often left defenceless and destitute without the Lord. But He defended them miraculously and protected them. And He'll do the same for anyone today who needs His protection. Finally, our Father gives perfect provision. James 1.17, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow God our Father. So whatever you've got going in your life that's wonderful, you give glory to God and thank Him for it. And if you haven't got something that you really need, well, then you ask Him, as Jesus said. Ask and it'll be, it'll be given. In fact, Jesus refers to the asking. If you look in Matthew 7, this is part of the great Sermon on the Mount. Look at this, verse 11. Jesus said, you know how to give good gifts, He says, but if you, being evil, wicked sinners, imperfect know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him come on isn't that amazing so God provides everything all things for our enjoyment from salvation a home and a future in heaven forgiveness for our sins power to overcome the temptations and the effects of sin, right through to providing our material needs, our physical needs, everything in between. God loves to provide. And so we just need to lift our faith, break off the doubt and lift our faith and go to promises like that and then take a hold of what God's got to offer. For example, do you remember a few weeks ago we had Josie Parata what a great story, a number of different things she touched on. And notice she's a single mum and she talked about God providing for them specifically with housing and how she had got really the prayer of faith and the kids got together and wrote, what are we really asking God for? Do you remember she talked about this? She said, we started down here and we said, oh, we'd really love a house with, I can't even remember the details, you know, a bedroom each or something. And they wrote it down and prayed back. She said, now they are living on the northern beaches Renting, although she mentioned that she's ultimately, you know, believing God that he could provide a way that they buy something. But in the meantime, she's renting a house that's got all the things they asked for, smack where their ministry is in, I think, Narrabeen, somewhere on the northern beaches. Normally, you would pay $1,500 a week. She pays $400 a week. And that's God providing for her and her five or six children. Four, seven, 17 children. <laughs> I'm, amazing, incredible. Um, 
Are you fact checking? Frosty said that, so it's not on me. Josie, I, it's just what it's, it's all. Um, so let me make a final point. The most wonderful thing about having a perfect father, and I don't mean this in the natural sense, I mean our heavenly perfect father, is that it's more than just how we get blessed. So we've been through that and it's awesome for us. But because he's perfect, it means we can easily want to bless him. And, and again, Bethany referred to this, I think that heart of worship that she carries and wants to encourage is to appreciate when we gather and the music moves our soul in the right way towards God, to appreciate that, wow, God's perfection is not just about getting our needs met, but about us getting a revelation that we can worship him that we can have a relationship with him, that that is the essence of life. The very best of a good life is to be able to walk with God because that's the only thing that carries on to eternity. God can bless you with some stuff along the way here, but you can't carry it, take it with you. And so uh, the, the goal for our relationship with God is, is not to be needs-driven, but fellowship-driven, yeah? led by a desire to be intimately close to, to him and worship him, not just being looked after by him. So as much as we appreciate what he does for us, the natural response when we realise how incredibly perfect he is, is to be drawn closer to him and want to be doing something to bless him. And that's how we feel stirred, as I guess you do, when in your prayer time you go through the, oh God, help me and bless me, but then you feel, oh but God, I, I, I'm, so, I'm so over blessed, overawed, over, what's the word, overwhelmed by your love for me. How can I love you? How can I serve you? How can I bless you? And so uh, we can then appreciate, you know, what it's like living for him. Perfect father, his perfect affection, direction, correction, provision, protection. And, uh, and then, of course, as I said, we hopefully can learn from him to want to bring that to our children to be good, not perfect, but do the best we can uh, and, and bring that into our family. Amen. Come on, let's pray. Father God in heaven, our Father in heaven. What an incredible statement. What a great privilege to be able to say that. Our Father in heaven. Collectively, we are your family. It's that our... You, and you're our Father, and you are perfect, and you're in heaven waiting for us. And we appreciate that. We appreciate, Lord Jesus, what you've done to make it possible for us to be in the family of God. We thank you for our brothers and sisters in that family. And, uh, and we just take a moment to consider our, our place in your family the privilege of being in your family and we also we want to consider the responsibility the uh, the joys of having meaning and purpose to not just be consumers and recipients but but to be participants and and productive members of the family so help us Lord to know how we can bless you how we can serve you how we can be doing something meaningful with our lives for your glory and before we go today, I want to make sure we're all considering our relationship with God. If you're here today and you've never committed your life to Christ, you've never given your life to God, then I want to 
encourage you to do that. Pray a simple prayer of commitment to God. He loves you. The Bible says He's knocking on the door of your heart. But it's your decision. It's on us whether we accept who Jesus is and and allow Him to be our Lord and Saviour. You're not naturally a a heaven-bound Christian just by being a nice person. It's your decision accepting the love of God. And maybe it's a recommitment you need to make today. Just pray a very simple prayer. Lord, thank You for sending Jesus. Come into my heart. Forgive me for my sin. Help me to follow You. And you pray a prayer like that, then talk to someone else around here and we'll help you stay on track following the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. We thank You, Lord. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.